So I cried when I got my SAT scores back when I was in high school. Okay, there, I said it. I don't care what you think because let's be real about it. That's a normal response for lots of kids in this country. Millions of gallons of tears uh, have fallen as a result of these exams. Okay, and so this past weekend was the debut of the new SAT over which new tears are definitely liable to be shed. So I'm curious, why do we have these tests? What do they really tell us about a student? Why is there an SAT and an ACT? Will anyone ever ask me my SAT score after I get into college? Well, some strange people have actually even made a career out of taking and studying and being around these tests their whole life, which is basically my nightmare job. So I talked to somebody like that, co-founder of West Coast test prep company, Compass Education Group, Adam Ingersoll. Welcome to The Crush. Welcome to The Crush, a podcast where I talk to interesting people about the world of college and college admissions. Please subscribe to this thing on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit crushpodcast.com for a little more info. Call me up at 503-86-CRUSH, leave a message. So full disclosure, I know Adam because his uncle John is my boss and his brother Isaac was my college roommate. Isaac, who, by the way, did actually laugh at me hysterically when he witnessed that I had dislocated my shoulder from sneezing. 100% true story. I can't really blame him, but I was pretty pissed off at the time. So anyways, the personal relationship that Adam and I have allows us to have a pretty casual rapport, but he was one of the first people that I thought to talk to for this show and is regarded in many circles beyond my own uh, as one of the true experts on standardized testing. I wanted to ask him a lot of things about these tests that almost ruined my life, kind of. Because here's my here's my list of complaints, in no particular uh, gripe order as I see it, but as also many other people in this business see it and the world. So, number one, they're unfair to poor and minority kids. Number two, they don't really tell you anything about a student's ability to succeed in college. They just tell you how much money somebody has. Number three, they themselves are really just a money-making endeavor for the college board and the ACT. Number four, they don't test you on anything meaningful, like, let's say, the stuff you actually studied in high school. Number five, they simply create way more stress than we really need uh, in this process, to be honest. Number six, all they are is a tool for colleges to attempt to appear like they're a better school. Which, by the way, just means harder to get into. Now, I know some of these would be true, others I don't, so I asked Adam about it. We also spent a good amount of time talking about the test-optional admissions movement, on which he's got a lot of opinions, what a test-free admissions world might look like, and we attempt to challenge the college admissions counselors of the world to do, as Adam has many times, and sit for these exams themselves. We had presented at a conference in Arizona earlier in the morning, so we kept the ball rolling with this conversation. How would you introduce yourself? Well, uh, nobody has a plan to go to college and then go into test prep. So in my case, uh, I was a freshman at USC, early 90s, and there was an ad in the student newspaper for... That's the University of Southern California. Yes, it is. Or spoiled children, but that wasn't me. Uh, So I was there. I needed a job. Humble beginnings. A little bit, a little bit. I'm the middle child of seven. Um, You know, in my family, no one was getting an SAT tutor coming to our house to, you know, or, or an independent educational consultant walking us through the college process. Yep. Uh, not exactly. So anyway, I get to USC, I need a job. And I had a number of jobs, but my favorite job I found freshman year, an ad in the student newspaper for um, SAT tutors, $15 an hour, 
which sounded amazing. Which in 1979 terms... Shut your... Hey, stop it. That's a lot of money. It was 1993. Oh. Okay. Right. Uh, and it was a crazy job. So here I am. I, I grew up in the Midwest. You know, I wasn't the most sophisticated, you know, worldly kid ever at 18, year, 19 years old. And I'm being sent to the homes of some of, you know, L.A.'s most affluent families and all the things that you assume that might mean uh, to work with a kid really like a year younger than me. I don't want to gloss over that. What do we assume that means? Uh, what well, kind of environments was, are you walking into? Like, can you describe a you know a good one? Yeah, the company that I was working for at the time, and l- like my current company, worked with not only affluent families, but uh, you know families a lot of, a lot of celebrity families, and just some really anybody you know, good. Can you name any names? No. Oh. We'll see. We'll see. This is radio. You know, we need we need to, we rely well, on I'll, this. I'll stuff tell you. For so, one of the one of the very first kids that I worked with, uh, we're in her her compound in Beverly Park, mm-hmm. and we're on like a patio. You know, um, and uh, this family was so affluent that their house, this is in like uh, the, the hills overlooking Beverly Park, they were higher up in the Beverly, in the hills of Beverly Hills than Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone's compound. So we're trying to work on the SAT, and Sly, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, is 100 yards below us down the hill uh, out there in his motor court working on one of his muscle cars. Yeah, so how yeah, did that, that was, impact her results on the exam? Um, it did not because she could care less, yeah. but it, maybe it did because her tutor was distracted. So uh-huh, yeah, I, don't know if, I don't know if she got her tutor's best <laughs> effort. But, yeah. Got it. Okay. So yeah, that was a great, a great gig, you know, through high school or through college working with students as a tutor. I found that I liked it. And then uh, when I graduated from, from college, I started then working in a management role for this company, um, thinking it would be just, temporary until I eventually went to grad school or, or did did something in the real world and uh, stuck with it, liked it. So now 23 years later, here I am uh, still working in test prep. And in 2004, I uh, started this company, Compass Education Group, with two other founders. And uh, we've, we've become California's largest provider of tutoring for these tests. We work with several thousand students a year in their homes in greater LA and San Francisco. And we work with thousands of uh, students um, sorry, the thousands of students we work with include many, many around the world who we work with online. Right. So I'm talking to you because uh, the SATs are horrible. Uh, the And I'm going to use that term probably interchangeably with ACT and whatever else. I mean, SAT equals standardized high stakes exam for the purposes of college admission. It gives me anxiety to even think about it. Uh, I... I have a very, very strong memory of getting my score results um, in Portland, Oregon, and it was uh, just a just a literary kind of Portland day. It was gray and drizzling, and I the moment of truth. I opened up the the thing, and um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna share my SAT score. I got a combined score. I don't even know what the subscore was, but my this is pre-writing, so this is just okay. critical reading and math. I got a 10:30. How did the verbal and the math break down? I did better on verbal than math. That was uh, was not a surprise to me. <clears throat> I, I didn't do so well on the verbal that, you know, it made me feel good about <laughs> my results at all. And I uh, I started not not afraid, cried, okay, yeah. cried, saw my life ahead of me. Going well, you're, you're sobbing now, down so the I'm, tubes. I'm not, not surprised. I'm keeping it together. I'm sobbing on the inside. The, the little me is still in there, sobbing. 
This is a very painful memory that is really close to the surface for me. But um, And I walked out of the house aimless, just walked out, just left. My parents weren't there, left the mail open on the thing, and I, I'm walking down the street. My parents come back from wherever they are, and I look to them, make eye contact. They're like waving, hey, you know, and I just look away and continue to walk and then eventually come home and have some conversation with my parents about how my life is ruined because they got horrible test scores. So it sounds like you were surprised when you got them. So you were were you a a pretty good student? It's not that I wasn't surprised or it's not that I was surprised. What I was was um, it was confirming my worst fears. Oh, no. You know, and so this is, I think, common. Right. I mean, this is this is, the, you know, and this was uh, this was in 1997. Mm hmm. Uh, and that was a long time ago. It's, I mean, this anxiety is still there. Sounds like it's scarred, it's scarred you to this day. <laughs> well, fortunately, I met your uncle, who yep. was my admissions counselor at USC and is my current boss at the, at the University of Rochester, so things worked out. Yeah, you met a uh, progressive guy working in admissions who helped unpack for you what that you know, score did and didn't mean, and you found a school that looked beyond scores and really wanted you on its campus and admitted you and you had a great experience so and i don't think so my, my question is why the hell haven't you gotten over this what's your problem <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a good question i don't know that i've actually really gone into it in any depth with in any kind of professional therapeutic uh context which maybe i could stand to do a little bit uh, and i think i have gotten over it but it's just that uh i i i use that i i kind of go back to that as I empathize with kids who yeah. go through this process, you know, and I remember what that well, felt like. Do you remember what it felt like for you? I mean, you probably got some, you know, moonshot of an SAT score. But well, I, mean, I had, do you remember taking it's the funny, test? It's funny stuff? who you ask it that way. I had other things in my life around which I was horribly insecure and felt inferior. So as a teenager, yeah. no way. So yeah, oh yeah. So when I got, <laughs> dude, when I was uh, when I was in eighth grade, I already had size thirteen feet. Mm. So I was just gawky. And you were four. No, I mean six. I was I was you know I was five eight or nine, but I I grew You're into a my tall drink of water now. I'm six three six yeah. two, but I yeah. I grew into that. The okay. feet came first. So Got it. I, it looked like a duck. <laughs> <coughs> but uh, this did not impact your SAT score, your ability. No, to get I mean I, I I I did I did pretty well, you know. So that was actually you know encouraging. Leveled off other things, but I, I guess. You know, to me, the problem you're describing your experience is uh, you, like so many other kids, are just giving these scores way more credit than they deserve. Okay. You know, um, how many people in your life who know you, you know, <laughs> um, well, let me let me back up. See, the, the 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 misunderstanding you had about these tests, you you thought they were saying something very broad and sweeping about innate skills that were meaningful and we're going to be with you the rest of your life. And you were just giving the, the stupid test way too much credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this test at best crudely measures this narrow band of cognitive skills. Uh, but even more than that, it measures um, how well you can display those skills in a very anxiety ridden foreign environment, you know, a high stakes speeded multiple choice test. Has it always so, been like that? Oh yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, that's that's the thing. If you go back, uh, you can find uh, articles in the New York Times 60 years ago lamenting the anxiety and the pressure related to college admission tests. So it's a rite of passage. It's a generational thing that everybody experiences. And here you are sitting here still complaining about it, but you've clearly <laughs> survived it. I'm relating a story that occurred. Okay. I'm telling a 
factual account. All right. Complaining. Well, yeah, I still will complain about it. I still think it drives up, you know, I mean, I think it, 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 it like as you said, I mean, I think it creates more anxiety than it's, than it's worth in the end. But, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, uh, what the hell can you do to combat that? Well, you can, you can do a fair bit, but you can only do so much. So this is the rub. And this is where I, I think, uh, you know, the conversation gets lost sometimes. You don't want to give these tests too much credit, but it's, at the same time, they kind of are what they are. And on the one hand, as I said a second ago, they're not an IQ test. Okay. You know, thinking that they say in some broad, meaningful way how, quote unquote, smart you are is ridiculous. So I would say so then so. You know, there was a piece of me, of course, and I'm sure a lot of kids who get scores that are below what their expectations are. They, they, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that happens somewhere in their brain that says I'm an idiot. You know, um, and I, and that there's just there's got to be. I mean, there's got to be some neurochemical thing that just happens that the, everybody gets a little bit of that one way or another when that happens. And it doesn't mean that you're an idiot. You can go on and you can do great work. Well, we, I, you know, we can't decide in this society whether we love these tests or whether we hate them. You know. We think we hate them, and you see all kinds. Here we are talking about how much you hated them. Yeah, you know, but we also love them. You hear, you know, I'm hoping to get over it by the end of the conversation. You, you won't. Okay. But you, you hear, like, you're, you know, your your real estate agent's going to be talking about how high the average test scores at the at the public schools where she wants to sell you a house. Uh-huh. You know, um, uh, and SAT scores are still used as proxy for quote unquote smart in a broad sense, and it's way more credit than they deserve. Do the, do, do SAT scores ever get used outside of the admissions process and later on in life? Um, like, hard, do I have to put my like if I'm applying for a certain kind of a job, are they going to ask me what my SAT score was? Almost never. And the really edgy cases where there's some quirky uh, employer that does that you'll see a story in the newspaper because everyone's horrified. I mean, I'm, I'm an employer and I happen to be in a business where your test scores do matter. That's what, what we do. So you're saying um, you'll, you're not, you'll not be hiring me. Oh, if, uh, well that's for other reasons. I mean, <laughs> that we probably even on this blog or podcast can't talk about, yeah. but uh, no, I was an employer in another context, not in a t- test prep uh, company. And uh, God, you know, as a sensible employer could care less about what it's somebody's, SAT scores were, right. and you're you want to know you're gonna, they're going to show up every day, and yeah. do they have some you know basic interpersonal skills, and yeah. Tell me, so there are two main institutions that administer these exams, or rather that, that create these exams, and that and that are responsible for them. You've got the College Board on one side, yeah. and then you've got the ACT. Who are these organizations? Where do they okay. come from? Well, Where first of all, they're like Apple and Samsung. They hate each other's effing guts. Mm-hmm. I can't swear on this. Go for it. I won't. All right. Too classy. Mm. Um, so you have these these two entrenched competitors. And I point that out first because sometimes when you see the things they're doing, like their current radical changes to their exams, mm-hmm. in the case of the SAT, um, those changes are not entirely student-driven. You know, what's in the best interest of students? They are competing with one another. And it's very important for students to understand that uh, those testing agencies' customers, so to speak, are not the students who take the tests. They're the colleges that require and rely on the tests. So the students sit downstream of that and are kind of the, you know, the victims of collateral damage, or in some cases, the, the beneficiaries. If you're a good test taker, then these tests help you. I'm interested in these organizations also as um, business-making enterprises. You know, and this is a big part of the criticism of the existence of these things, is that on the one hand, they help us make smart decisions about, about students' fitness for college, 
on the other hand, you know, they make a lot of money for these organizations. And, the, you know, in the university that I represent, that I represent and, and uh, other schools will pay them, you know, for uh, for other things. Right. I mean, the College Board is, is, is a vast organization. The SAT is only a part of what they do. Right. Do we need to be should, should we feel cynical about the money associated with this being a, a key part of, you know, a nation's uh, youth's anxiety? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, they are structured as nonprofits legally, but um, at their size, in in a competitive environment, uh, they operate like for-profit businesses in many respects. And students are caught up in the maw of that, you know, in a lot of ways that that feel unfortunate. So one of the other things that these that that these tests mean for us in you know in the admissions world is they figure prominently, I'll assume, into the. U.S. News and World Report ranking, you know, which is a which is a something that, uh, you know, uh, schools who participate they end up on this list as a result of a handful of different factors that weigh the relative goodness of a school according to the people that do the research at U.S. News. Um, so, what how, do you do? You have a sense of how these scores sort of figure into that? They actually are a very small, if they even exist, a, a portion of the actual you know, ranking formula for U.S. news. But the scores factor into a university's selectivity and desirability, things like their, their yield, the percentage of students to whom they offer admission who say yes. Uh, all of that is wrapped up in the, the, the test scores. So, uh, yeah, a, a, a crass phrase that I hear all the time in your industry, you know, when colleges are comparing one another uh, would be some colleges are known, you know, forgive me here, known quote unquote score whores, where they don't necessarily, you know, walk the talk about holistic admissions and wanting to build a diverse class and test scores being kind of a necessary evil that they hold their nose and use. No. If you look at their actual stats <laughs> and their actual behavior, um, these are colleges that appear to be really driven by institutional priorities, driven by the president and the board saying, raise our average SAT score, get us up in the rankings. We want to please the alumni with you know, shouting that we re-rose three points to number 27 in the national rankings. And you can see that in their behavior. And um, you know that really uh, makes it harder for students to believe the colleges that are saying something else, mm -hmm. saying, we don't care about scores as much as you think. We care about other things that, that are far more you know, relevant, matter more to us in building a really awesome you know, community of, of students on campus. Uh, but uh, family, parents and students are rightly cynical. You know, they look at the intensity and sophistication of the marketing that's coming at them. My goodness, the sophistication in, inside you know, college marketing, what you people are sending to students the way you're contacting them, uh, it's hard for a family to look at that and at the same time believe that this is a holistic stu student-centered enterprise. Right. You know what I mean. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. And I, you know, this is, this is part of the, I mean, this is a huge part of the problem. There's no, it's not, um, we can't all get on the same page about this, you know, and I think that if there, there are a lot of places I'm sure that would love to just sort of jump ship and uh, and and stop participating, you know, in the whole rankings thing. Uh, but 
you know, everybody's saying, you go first, I'm right behind you, you know, and it'll never happen. I don't even know if people probably are not saying that, but that would be the, that would be the, the, the strategy and it will never happen. You know, one of the, th- one of the, the trends that's happening right now in which I'm the most cynical is the test optional movement. Okay. Um, so test optional, this means you can or cannot submit standardized test scores as an element of your application. Yes. Uh, Wake Forest University right now will fully consider your application for admission with no standardized test scores at all. Okay. And this has been around forever um, at small liberal arts colleges. Uh, Bowdoin, Bates you know, are, are two of the most, most well-known. Forever, they've been test optional. And for their particular environment, types of students that they're attracting and the, the, number, the volume that you're talking about being fairly low, that's always been kind of below the radar. But it's been a fairly recent phenomenon that more and more schools, and not just small liberal arts colleges, but you know, large private and public research universities, um, are are going test optional, and if you are start to unpack it, you know you really have to question, or have to look um, in an even way at the mixed motivations of doing so. All right, so here's my here's my least cynical interpretation of test optional. The tests, it's not a it's not a you know a, it's not controversial at this point to say that they that they they correlate very strongly to family wealth you know and and to you know the household income that the more money you have the more people like yourself and your employees uh the families have access to the more uh the greater the chance that their scores are going to are going to go up the greater the chance they're going to get into the schools that they want to go to yeah, my company uh, to a large extent provides a further advantage to the already advantaged. Okay. And we do a lot of pro bono work, and that's partly how I can sleep at night, but <laughs> that is the fact. Yes. Yeah. And so if I say, well, I'm test optional, and I'm going to be totally uncynical, I'm going to say that we are leveling the playing field as a result at our school, and we're getting rid of the thing that is going to be, uh, that, is gonna, that is going to favor the rich the most, yeah. and therefore give a better advantage to people at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. I partly agree, but I'm, I'm going to be a devil's advocate and pretend I fully um, disagree. So, for one thing, yes, uh, test scores are very strongly correlated with family income mm-hmm. more than anything else. Uh, t- tests, though, standardized tests reflect and perhaps help perpetuate the inequities in society. They don't create them in the first place. It's not the SAT and ACT's fault that we underfund public education so horribly in this country and therefore, students who go to, you know, um, very you know, problem-ridden public schools, of course, those problems then show up in their test scores when they're 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So, it, to the extent test optional uh, hides or just you know tries to ignore or not deal with that problem, I don't know that it's really in the broader picture. But if the goal of the institution of higher education is to create access and act as a mobility, a social mobility device, then uh, leaning heavily on use of standardized test scores gets in the way of of that mission. Yeah. In that scenario, test optional is a good thing. So I'm going to name names. You know, test optional to me, an example of 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 a university in the context where it's really helpful and where it's really being done right would be DePaul University in Chicago. Uh, They have a very progressive uh, head of enrollment there who deeply understands the research and uh, has leveraged test optional to to more successfully reach underrepresented students who now have opportunities that previously a rigid testing requirement uh, deterred them. And I applaud that. 
I mean, I, again, I grew up middle of seven kids and I relied on a national merit scholarship and a Perkins loan and grants. And, you know, that, that helped me get to a, a college. Here's where I'm cynical though. There are other contexts where I look at test optional and what it's achieving and I, I scratch my head. I'll give you an example. So GW, now test optional, you know, very competitive school. I think their mid ACT scores for their, for their successful applicants are in the low thirties. Perfect ACT is 36. I was part of a discussion recently where a uh, independent consultant was trying to help a student get into GW. Here was a kid who clearly had every advantage, you know, test prep to the nines, um, tutors, you know, privileged kid. This kid, despite lots of effort, only had a 20 on the ACT. So the consultant was asking her, basically her peers, should this student, if she applies to GW, apply um, test optional and withhold her scores. And the answer from a tactical point of view was a no-brainer. Of course she should not submit a 20 when, you know. Um, but the reason I was cynical about it is like, okay, so who just won there? You know, how, how is that helpful? Um, you could make the argument that a student with uh, ACT score 10 points lower than the median at the school she wants to go to maybe isn't the best fit there. I don't want to give the scores too much credit, but I guarantee you if you, as a teacher, face two classrooms, one of them were all students with a 20 ACT score, the other one were all students with a 31 ACT score, you would find a meaningful difference in terms of what you could do with that class, or at least at what pace you could do it. And that's based and that's, on what you understand. I mean, and you've got, you, you have a, a pretty high, I mean, that's your whole job. I have is to data, have a good... but I also have two decades of practical <clears throat> experience to, to, demonst to demonstrate that. I know that's politically incorrect, and no one likes to talk about uh, uh, scores operating that way. But when you're talking about groups of students with differences of that magnitude, you know, 10 plus ACT points uh, would be like 500 SAT points. These are, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, big, a big range. Now, there are exceptions. If every one of those 20 ACT students were Davin Sweeney's, that's a, that's a fun class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so <clears throat> to me, this, this student was uh, using a loophole that had been created. And just imagine a fictional, uh, identical student to that one who had an ACT score of 27 and who do did not have, you know, this sophisticated counseling and who applied to Georgetown re and reported her score and didn't get in. Uh, is that is that what all this test optional brouhaha was designed to achieve? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, to me, no. And finally, why I'm why I'm cynical, and your your listeners should know this. I, I went back and talked to other very experienced uh, counselors about this, and they were like, "Look, uh, GW knows exactly what they're getting, because this is important. GW knows what every high school's profile is, you know, who's uh, sending them applicants. Mm -hmm. So they know from that school, the uh, the average test scores." at that high school are X. Well, uh, this student is choosing not to submit her score. Nobody uh, holds her score back if it would be higher than the college's average. They're sitting there saying, okay, uh, this applicant, clearly her, her test scores, whatever they were, she's not showing them to us, they must be you know, lower than our, our average, okay. And a lot of the veteran counselors I talked to said, look, GW, if you wanna get in uh, with that profile and not reporting scores, you better be applying early decision and you better be full pay, not needing, you know, uh, any any aid or forget it. So that to me kind of put the lie to test optional in certain contexts. What's the what's your understanding of the the relative prominence of test optional schools? Are they, is this growing as a phenomenon? Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would say that uh, five years ago, the uh, test optional roster of schools was such that uh, if you were a student that aspired to go to a selective school mm-hmm. um, and you really wanted to be in, you know, at a nationally known, you know, very highly thought of, robust, academically prestigious kind of environment, the test optional list was pretty thin. I would now say that if you're a student for whom these tests, maybe this would have been you. If it was, maybe if you were applying to college in 2017 instead of 1997, um, I would want a student like you to get wind of the test optional movement. Uh, I'd want it to be explained to you as, hey, these test scores in some contexts are not helpful and they understate what you bring to the table. And then a student like you would hopefully accept that. And you could, this is the point, you could, in, in 2016, you could look only at the test optional list and find a wildly diverse and impressive menu of college options. Mm-hmm. And that was not true f- even five to ten years ago. And, are we, and we're there now? Yeah, we're there, and, and it's, 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 it's growing. But here's the thing. Um, students sometimes think, oh, all these colleges are going test optional. I guess it, uh, it just got easier to get into those colleges. No. In many cases, it got harder. Uh, because what happens when a college goes test optional in its first year? They, they, they often get more applications, right? Because it sounds good. It has a lot of PR value to say, hey, look how friendly we are. We don't require scores. Um, so they get more applications. They have the same number of spots in their class, so they get to admit fewer students, right? So their admit rate goes down, which is good for their rankings. Um, their yield rate might go up. Um, which direction do their test scores go? Average test scores go up. Why? Because the students with comparatively lower scores were self-selecting out and not reporting those, those scores. Um, so, you know, did it get easier now to get into those schools? No. And if we look at the roster, the top 30 to 50 test optional colleges, um, and based on their rankings, mm-hmm. which I know we hate to do, but if we did, what we see is that the average test scores are still extremely high. The admit rates are still quite low. You know, so I guess here's what I'm trying to say. On one hand, test optional is not a game changer mm-hmm. uh, for the student who wants to go to a really selective college. It is a game changer at colleges like DePaul, uh, which are not um, not as selective, have a higher admit rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it would have done for you is it would have let you say, hey, I'm, I have a lot to offer, just not reflected in test scores. Yeah. Um, my admission, if I withhold my test scores, my admission is going to be based that much more on everything else, mm-hmm. including most importantly my grades. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's better for me. Mm-hmm. And you would have options that you didn't have back then. Yeah, I mean, I I, I applied to graduate school in large part based on the the the, the relative uh, value of of the the GRE and their yeah. admission decisions, you know, because I sucked on that too. Uh, I just am not a test guy. But uh, yeah, um, I, I, now let me ask. I'm a test optional place that just heard what you said yeah. you know and I'm, I'm i'm straight in your firing line and i'm saying well this guy's just sour grapes because you know we're eating into his bottom line because you know we're part of this movement that's going to lead kids to need less test prep because they're going to because we're you know g- decreasing the value of of these exams in the admissions process well i'll say this as the test optional movement has been growing um so has the test prep industry so I would say if, if the folks who think that, if they find a way to bleed the inequities out of the college admission process and put test prep out of business, I'll be leading the parade. 
you know, uh, yes, I happen to run a test prep company. I also have four kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to directly witness the negativity that the whole pressure and hysteria around college admissions, you know, puts on my kids' shoulders. If somebody can actually fix that, and if part of fixing it is eliminating test prep and high-stakes testing, great. Uh, I don't foresee that happening. Okay. So part of re- relative to this issue, I think – when you go when 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 you have a policy that gives kids the option to submit scores or not, in large part you're 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 not placing a lot of value in the exam itself, uh, in terms of what it can tell you on the admissions side of things about what a student can bring to your campus. So is that a big part of why we're seeing new and redesigned versions of the old yeah. traditional tests that we were about the come to know the- and hate? Yeah. The argument for the SAT and ACT's existence is that it improves college's ability to predict first-year freshman grades in college. Mm-hmm. Helps them, them say with a bit more accuracy which students will succeed here. And the argument against the, the, the tests is compelling and pretty simple. It's saying that the additional predictive value that test scores offer is not worth the test prep industry, the machine that has grown up around it. That, that's, that's at its essence um, the argument for the test optional movement, and it's compelling. Yeah, completely get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, uh, there's also data that, that shows that that additional uh, boost in predict, you know, predictive uh, value is meaningful. We had a session this morning. We're presenting here at a conference, and uh, mm-hmm. a representative from a very selective uh, university uh, showed their data and showed that uh, – uh, grades, your transcript, your GPA was most predictive of your ability to succeed at her college. That predicted about 48% of the variance in first-year freshman grades. But when you added test scores to that, now you're predicting 56% of the variability in first-year freshman grades. Well, with thousands of students, that's actually meaningful. Mm-hmm. So they're not test optional because they find it somewhat useful. Mm-hmm. Some, some admissions people would say, you know, we hold our nose while we do it but we need to see test scores. Well, and I think, you know, that, that I often try to help people understand because, I mean, I, 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 from my perspective, when I was going through this myself, just viewed the whole thing as just some, you know, evil <laughs> incarnate and, and did not, I mean, how could I possibly understand the nuances of, of its predictive value, right. you know, in first-year grades? And, but so when I talk about this to students, I say, you know, we're not doing this just because we're, you know, we're, we're score-grubbing and we're, you know, trying to just, you know, claw our way to the top of the U.S. News and World Report ranking, it's because it's incredibly traumatic for a kid to have to transfer out of college in their first year because they're not ready for it. And when, you know, think about all the things that are involved in going through that transition, it's a big deal. You're leaving home. I mean, you're becoming really for all intents and purposes an adult at that point. You're, you're, you're establishing your independence. You're meeting new friends. You're, you're, you're purposely outside of your comfort zone and all of those things that are now you have to leave and do that again someplace else. Like it's just, it's bad news. Yeah. That's an interesting rationale I hadn't heard before. Well, let, let, let's, let's play this criticism of testing out to its, you know, logical extreme. Let's say we decide as a society that these tests are so evil and the behavior that and anxiety that they provoke, it's not worth it. We're going to completely eliminate them. Do you think that the current stress and energy that goes into boosting test scores, do you think all that stress and th- that would just evaporate, just and go into the ether and, and there'd be net less stress? The stress is like, it, the, it's like the, 
you know, the law of physics that matter cannot be either created or destroyed. It just is. It would go right? somewhere. And so you've got this stress that, that is exacerbated not by, not, by te- not by the existence of tests, I believe, and I think you believe. It's there because of other social forces well, that are at work. I'll, here's, what would, here's what would happen in the competitive college admissions environment if, you know, there were no testing. Uh, it might be a net gain, but, but it'd be messy because all those parents, you know, are still going to be looking for an edge. And they would then put that much more attention uh, on uh, academic tutors. You know, kids would even more than they already do. They they would have just grades on steroids. Um, it would all go somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, would it go to something healthier and ultimately more meaningful? Maybe. And that's why I think you see one of the reasons why you see the College Board radically overhauling their their test. Uh, their president's line you know, repeats constantly is they want their test to provoke quote work worth doing. Mm-hmm. They don't have you know to see students sitting all day long in gimmicky test prep. Yeah, you know they want to see students actually learning something that. Uh, well, this is one of the reasons matters. that you know that you advocate not going, you know, advocating a a sort of reasonable timeline to take these tests so that people cannot uh, maybe uh, misappropriate their time prepping for a test that may have limited return on that investment versus something like going to school, spending time on your homework and your classes, which everybody, I mean, and as, as our colleagues shared this morning, you know, that was the greatest predictor of success was your, was your grades, you know, and that's really what it's all about. And I mean, furthermore, this is not just about getting into college, right? This is not just about having high numbers. It's about developing your soul and your humanity, you know, and that's what education is. And so to the extent that we, that we're, we're taking time away from people being in the classroom to do that, I think that's, that's, that's not okay. Well, you know, let's go back to 16-year-old Davin weeping at the, at the dining room table. Yeah, the scores. yeah, yeah. So you grew up in Portland. Yes. Uh, tell me about the, the high school environment there. How competitive was your high school, and how was it perceived compared to the others in that town? It's interesting. I mean, the high school that I went to, I went to to to, to the high school that drew definitely from the most sort of affluent part of town. And I went there not because it was my neighborhood school and I lived in the affluent part of town, but because my dad was a teacher there. Um, mm. And so I saw a lot of, you know, there were, and, but also, you know, the school had was, was part of a magnet program that was a desegregation effort that's no longer in place. And so they had an international baccalaureate program and an international studies focus. Cool. And so there were a lot of students who were there from all over town for all kinds of different reasons, but there was also this strong contingency of kids who were coming from really highly educated households. And so, um, I saw people go all over the place, you know, but one of the most popular places for our students to go, kids in my class was like the university of Montana, mm-hmm. you know, and Colorado college and, you know, Santa Cruz. But then I also had classmates that went to Dartmouth and, uh, Harvard and, uh, and Yale and places like this, you know, I was the only one in my year to go to USC, um, so the, the, but, and then a lot of people that went to the university of Oregon, there was a sense there that like, you know, doing that was kind of like settling for something, you know, you but this. it wasn't the same degree of compet- competitiveness really that the kids are experiencing now. None of us, we didn't care, but we were not trying to chase to get to the top. Okay. But you went to it. It sounds like a fairly competitive, strong, highly regarded school in your, in your hometown. I did. Um, you know, could school, you have yeah. gone to a different school in, in your same city? And much more easily gotten better grades. I don't know. It's a there's a good chance. Um, I mean, the, the you know the the, the coursework that would have been available at other schools would have been different. I mean, I could have gotten better grades, but I don't know that I could have gotten better grades in in, in tougher classes. Well, this is one of the fundamental arguments for for the SAT or for standardized tests in general, is 
in your application, your transcript and your grade point average, you need some context around that. Yeah. You know, did you go to a public school uh, that has a lot of challenges where getting a 4.0, you know, uh, would be, you know, require far less effort and ability than going to the most aggressive magnet school um, where getting a 4.0 would have been a much tougher feat. Right. Standardized test scores put some context around that. Yeah. You know, that's one of their original justifications for well, the, and it's, their existence. Well, and it's the reason they put, right, I mean, it's the reason they put the word standardized in there, you know, and, and it's something that we have to constantly do. And it's a hard, you know, it's impossible, you know, to tell a kid. It's like when they sit, they come up to the college fair table and they say, what GPA do you need to get into this place? You know, and I've, I regard that as a completely impossible question sure. for me to answer because, you know, and we publish a GPA, you know, but that is like the biggest abstraction of an abstraction of abstraction right. of all time you know when you consider that and and a 3.8 from one student to the next within the same building can mean two completely different things so it's not the same you know we have to dig deeper into these things and and you're right i think sats do provide some context relative to that i mean at at bottom this whole conversation is about fairness yeah you know and do test scores uh fly in the face of fairness or do they actually help uh, level the playing field. Socioeconomically, they don't. But if if you look at at what they can do for an application, um, I, I, my personal example, you know, I graduated from a very small parochial school in the middle of Iowa, which most of the colleges I was applying to would have never heard of. They probably would have never gotten an applicant from there before, maybe one every five to ten to ten years. Uh, but there was a standardized test. And um, I had done well in the PSAT, so I was a national merit semifinalist. And you know, and all for all the what does that mean? Can you say explain that? Yeah. So the PSAT is taken unless your your school you know is doing something unusual. What does the P stand for? Uh, Pre preliminary SAT. Yeah. So basically, but actually, it doesn't stand for anything anymore because SAT used to stand for used to be an acronym. Aptitude test. Used to be scholastic Scholastic aptitude aptitude test, and that was an overstatement. They backed off from it, Mm -hmm. and then it became uh, the, um, I think, uh, scholastic assessment test. Okay. Um, but quite a while ago, the College Board officially decided that it was no longer an acronym. Uh-huh. It didn't stand for anything. Right. It was just a, a, a brand. Okay. So it's just uh, a thing now. Yeah. Okay. So PSAT like is the hieroglyphs. The preliminary version. Yeah. Of that brand. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you take it in October of 11th grade and it, um, it's first and foremost, it's a, it's a big marketing scam. It generates massive database of students that then colleges like yours yes. uh, purchase the names and addresses of and you send them your glossy brochures yep. and, and this the, is when the courtship process begins, right. right? The other part of the process is um, it is the qualifying test for what's called the National Merit Scholarship. And if you do well enough, and well enough is defined as uh, the 99th percentile in your state, then you proceed in that scholarship process. And uh, I think over the years it's become, I think, less relevant uh, because all it really says is that you have high test scores. Mm-hmm. If you apply to really competitive colleges, so does everyone else. But in my context, it showed that uh, this kid from this unknown school, they don't know anything about the rigor of the curricula there and you know how, how strong um, a, a environment it is, but uh, the scores demonstrated something. And that uh, got me on school's radars, got me into, into some schools, helped me get me in, and got me some scholarship money. So it did create, so, it, did, it, it, did, it did not 
uh, it worked against the supposition that this is actually a barrier to access. In my case, it uh, opened doors for a very low-income kid from the middle of nowhere. And in fairness, you know uh, that's a that's a pretty slim percentile of people sure. that are that are in that category. But and I would say there's probably other ways to identify these kids without making two million kids a year <laughs> take these standardized tests and go through the whole rigmarole. Fair point. Do you um? Do you take these tests? Like, uh, have you you take these tests regularly? Yeah, anybody can go and take the SAT. It's an open test. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are very strict rules about you know um, not uh, uh, using any of the information. You know, if, if you walk out of the SAT and memorize problems and go and put them online, you're going to get slapped with a cease and desist or worse, awfully quickly, as you should. Uh, but you can go and take it. I'm signed up to take it in January. January is its swan song for the current version. So I kind of want to, you know, say goodbye to an old friend of me. Ah, right. It's one of the dorkiest things that's probably ever been uttered. <laughs> but, um, Boy. Okay, uh, actually, you know what? There I'm, is, I'm that, the there is one thing that I would not be doing. It's going to say goodbye to an old friend called you the SAT. You know what? You, you gave a it. confessional here, how you wept. I did. You I did. wept. You were 16, so I I'm, I'm going to make one I here. I bared my soul. Your turn. I'm going to make one here. Okay. So uh, I have never on the current SAT in one sitting on an actual live date um, had the, the trifecta, a perfect 2,400, just three 800s across the board. Um, I've taken it more times than I can count since it debuted in that format in 2004, and I've never done that. Okay. Um, now, I have, I, have the, I have the super score 2,400 all day long because my almost every time what happened was I got two 800s mm-hmm. and then one um, missed one or, t- or really one problem on some other section. And it was infuriating because one of my partners. <laughs> this is so is different this from my confession. Horribly, oh, it's it's the same. This is not. This is not equal at all. This guy, so another co-founder of my of of, of my company is this guy. He taught, graduated top of his class at Harvard, perfect SAT score in the ninth grade kind of person, and he waltzed in, you know, and I think he nailed the perfect twenty four hundred the first two or three times, and he got bored with it and quit. And of mm-hmm. course, I never hear the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Uh, sorry, I guess you're not sorry at all, <laughs> but this is a, this is an interesting point, you know, because this is one of the things that you share is that you can't necessarily assume that the more you take this test, the better you're going to be at it. Right. I mean, and you do this professionally as a job and you, yeah. you, you know, everything there is to know about how to do this. So I'm understanding why this might eat away at you. But if you're a kid taking this test, you know, if I take this test, you know, as many times as you've taken it. You know, am I going to end up getting somewhere close to well, a twenty four hundred? You'd be an unhappy, miserable human being. So <laughs> yeah, don't don't do it. But no, uh, uh, you're right. The law of diminishing returns kicks in with these tests, and endless investment of effort to try to raise your score mm-hmm. uh, eventually flattens out in terms of the benefit of it. Eventually, have like how many yeah. times? Do you know this? Uh, or? Yeah, I mean, there's data. Uh-huh. You know, to, what does to it say? This uh, it, it shows that uh, students who keep taking the test over tend to continue making incremental gains. That's what the national data shows. But within test prep, the, 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 the most bang for your buck usually comes fairly early. And most students with the reasonable effort can improve quite a bit from the first or the second test. Mm-hmm. But then you start to butt up against a soft ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it works. And it doesn't mean that these are IQ tests or that students who can't get past a certain point aren't quote unquote smart doesn't mean that at all mm-hmm. but i think this fits you know your your understanding of the test i mean do, do you think that the sat everybody could get a perfect score if everybody studied enough does that fit your general understanding of what that test is this gets to this gets to another point that you know something that i've considered is that 
Adam, I don't know what's on the SAT. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know what's on the old SAT. And now I'm with along. I'm with everybody else when I say, you know, uh, I don't know what's on the new one. You know, so the playing field's leveled a little bit as far as that's concerned. But here we are as admissions counselors, going basically on our own experience as teenagers with our understanding of what's going on in the, in 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 that exam and what students are actually being tested on. You know, hopefully we're getting some training. Uh, where we're learning about what goes on in there and what that means, what those scores mean, you know, and um, but but individually, you know, I can't tell you the last time I looked at an even a, a sample test. Well, let's let's pick on the old SAT for a second, you know. Um, but probably no is the answer to your question. Well, it's it's complicated. I know you don't want to hear that on a on a, <laughs> a podcast, but it is, you know. So the, the test can't let everybody achieve a perfect score. Or it'd be of no use to colleges. You're right. So you have to design this test that, let's be honest, it ranks students. Mm-hmm. And it puts them on a scale, and that scale may or may not have meaning, but it puts them on a scale. And this is another thing that you've got data that you show that, you know, no matter what, uh, throughout the course of every iteration of every sitting of the test, there's this there's this pretty much completely geometrically perfect curve with yeah. the fatness right in the middle and, you know, short tails on either end. The test is built so that the vast majority of students taking it are going to score, you know, in that middle range of on an SAT section of 400 to 600. Vast, vast majority of, of, of students. Uh, it's built so that a tiny percentage of students are going to score at the very top. Uh, why and what, how they create the test to ensure that takes us into the weeds. Some of it is because it has very hard questions with very hard academic content. Mm-hmm. Some of it's because it's a speeded test, and, and a lot of students could use more time. You mean timed? What's the difference between speeded and timed? Well, when you were taking tests at, in school, in, in high school, at, in, in, your, in your classes, you probably didn't regularly feel like this test is pushing me too fast. You know, for the most part, it's, it's, they were tests that were meant to be kind of achievement tests. If you know the information being tested, you're supposed to have adequate time to get that information down there. Yeah. And the SAT and ACT. This is not accounting for students that may have learning disabilities and therefore do have uh, f- that feeling with every single yeah. exam they sit for. But most students don't have a learning difference, but yet wish they had a bit more time. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that you're that you're you know dealing with, and that the test is reflecting. You know how fast can you work and still be meticulous on a multiple choice test? Mm-hmm. But then finally, uh, the test again has to produce that consistent distribution of scores with a low percentage of very, very high scores. And frankly, it engages in some trickery. Mm-hmm. And the science of these tests, if you, imagine you were writing um, SATs and ACTs for a living. It sounds like, yeah, it's, <laughs> imagine my worst nightmare. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be that hard for you to write a question that fits the specifications and, of course, give the correct answer choice as an option. But you would labor forever over four wrong answers, each one with its own little twist, you know, each each one, if the student went down this wrong path, this is where they would arrive. And every problem that's on an SAT or ACT has stats. They know the percentage of students when they give that test that are going to get that question right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And they build, they assemble a test where there's enough of those difficult questions. And difficult, again, remember, for a wide variety of reasons, right. some legit, some not. Right. And that, that's what, that's what that, that test is. What, so we mentioned the new SAT. What do we need to know about that? Uh, you sh- you need to 20, know that 20, most 20 students, yeah, most students' current juniors are avoiding it because mm-hmm. they don't have to take it. They can take its competitor, the ACT, instead. Um, and mostly that's for practical reasons. Mm-hmm. The scores from the first administration ever are going to be considerably delayed. 
uh, then in my niche, students who want to do really sophisticated preparation, uh, they'd rather take the test that's been around longer, for which the material for it is more uh, mature. You can't pre- you can't <clears throat> accurately prep for a test that's never been taken by anyone. Well, you can prep for it, um, but you can't prep with the exact with with the same degree of sophistication and certainty that you can for the other. Got and it. believe me, my clients, you know, paying thousands of dollars for test prep, they abhor un- uncertainty and imprecision, mm-hmm. and that in, in this transition year is driving them to the ACT. Okay. So this is something that we're going to see is a spike in scores coming our way over the next year or so from from De- definitely a spike. would have come from SAT takers that are going to be ACT. Yeah, definitely a spike in popularity for the ACT. This will level back off. That's assuming that they're that they're getting preparation for it, and then that they're making the smart choice to the smart or sophisticated choice to take the SAT based on the preparation that might be available. To I them. mean, there's still going to be well over a million. Am I keeping you up? Sorry, I, yeah, uh, I've been been around the country <laughs> this week talking about test scores to audiences. So that was my yawn. What it's not is, you. It's not I you, cannot Gavin. believe that you're not, not still you. just fully enthusiastic about discussing this stuff at this point, Adam. Uh, I could geek out on this all day. Now, I know. So. I know. It's okay. I'm just kidding. All right. Um. <laughs> yeah. Why did they make the changes that they made to the new SAT, and what are they? Market forces is the why. Okay. Right. The venerable SAT that's been around for, for decades was getting its clock cleaned by the ACT. The ACT had become, it was becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had a new president of the college board, uh, this guy named David Coleman. Uh, his background, he's one of the architects of the Common Core. You know, extremely intelligent, but also very... And the Common Core is, is this national standard of, of, of high school instruction? It's a shorthand for the idea that there should be uh, curricula standards that are ideally national in scope. Mm-hmm. And that rather than letting individual school districts across the country just you know buy whatever publisher's curricula that they want, there should be these state or ideally national standards... Uh, to which we're all held accountable. Okay, and so this is, and so the new test is meant to align to these. Basically, yes, and here is why: um, the College Board is and the ACT they're competing in multiple marketplaces. The one I'm sitting here talking to you about is what I, what they could call the retail marketplace. Individual students who are choosing which test do I take to apply to college. They also are looking for institutional clients. So those are states or large public school districts that. Um, uh, College Board and ACT want to see their tests mandated at. And in those contexts, the test is doing things like curricula assessment, teacher assessment, uh, you know, readiness to graduate from high school. So this, so these things, so the student outcomes on those exams impact those things. So like teacher pay is impacted by in some, student in results? Some cases. Wow. In some cases, yes. So you have one test that's trying to carry water for these very different constituencies. Right. And that's awkward. That's difficult to do because, um, you know, if I am a state superintendent of education, I want to know whether as many of my students as possible can be proficient, you know, um, reach a certain mark before they, they leave high school. So for, you, for your context, for a test to really be helpful, it needs to help, uh, yeah, differentiate who has gone above and beyond just the most basic high school requirements. And it, frankly, you need to help differentiate between kids at the very high end. Right. So having one test try to do all of that, uh, that's complicated. Okay. And it's very arguable whether they, 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 uh, they can pull it off. What are some of the craziest things that you've ever heard happen during a test? 
during a test. Well, every kid has the horror stories. You know, the, the band starts practicing right outside the window. Mm-hmm. Or you're next to the most annoying kid ever who's like a loud breather and you just want to <laughs> strangle him. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say the, the most unfortunate things that happen are when there are poorly trained proctors and they screw up the timing, the instructions. Uh, you know, most kids' worst nightmare with, with the test center experience is that something goes wrong and then that test center's scores get invalidated and they got to take it again. And that happens. Yeah. It can. Yeah. Or uh, one of the other most just frustrating things that happens uh, would be when you improve so much that your scores get challenged. So so that you go your your scores go from from low to really high between sittings. Yeah. A relative, which is rare. Yeah. Relative increase is so striking that and and I think they have algorithms that look at this, uh, that it's flagged and it's challenged. And then there's an investigation, mm. and they'll look at things like the patterns of mistakes of the kids around you. Mm. So were you clearly cheating off the kid, you know, next to you? Because wow, yeah, um, yeah. that's all pretty sophisticated. Well, here's, I mean, and the, the reason I bring it up is because this is clear that this is that these things can happen, you know, and that this is an exam where the external world can impact what happens with the result of your score. And we recognize this in admissions, you know, that this is it's any given Saturday, you know, where you're sitting down and hopefully you could sleep. You didn't get in a fight with your parents on, on your way. Well, let there. me give you something. So I, I, this as tragedies go, you know, this isn't, <laughs> you know, um, there are bigger ones. Yeah, there are bigger ones. But here's what happened to, to this kid. Uh, super nice kid and actually not not the most affluent family, you know, solidly middle class family. Uh, he was a recruited athlete. He had done a really solid round of prep after his first SAT. Practice test scores looked great. He was really ready to go. Uh, going into the October SAT of his senior year, the night before at 7.30 p.m., his girlfriend breaks up with him over text message. It's the nicest kid in the world. Like, you know, I, oh I'm sure see, he's devastated. Poor kid. Doesn't sleep a wink. Goes in the next day and just is destroyed by the test. He's a wreck. You know, he was at home weeping like 16-year-old Devin Sweeney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and my, my thought was really, like, she couldn't have waited until Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you know, what was the urgency? That, <laughs> so my God. message to your 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 uh, your student listeners, uh, be kind to one another. Be gentle God, when it no comes kidding. to SAT scores. Man. And uh, and don't yeah. break up over a text message anyways. God. Brutal. Seriously. Brutal. Yeah. Face-to-face. So – do you think that the new the new test the first new testing date is 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 March March 5th I think 5th. it is the first Saturday in March. So this is the spring. first time people will be able to take the new SAT. I'll be there. I'm signed up. Do you think do we do this right here do we challenge the world of college admissions counselors to also be there with you? Um no, because then I'm afraid they'll all go test optional. <laughs> they'll be so <laughs> horrified. No. Uh, you know what? If, if that actually happened, I think you actually would come away with a healthy respect for it, especially the new test. Because, you know, as much as I've been critical in some of the stuff, interviews I've done and, and blog posts about the transition of the new SAT with delayed scoring and, uh, you know, the scales not being known until after the first test and so on, uh, I actually have a healthy respect for it pedagogically mm-hmm. nerdy way of saying like what's actually on it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's pretty solid. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Your kids who take it on March 5th, 
at, after three hours of multiple choice, they're going to have a 50-minute essay. Uh, that is no joke. And, and it's going to be on, on a tough topic, mm-hmm. and the scoring of it is pretty intense. You can't just make up stuff and just talk about your own ideas and okay. you know try to make right. an argument. You got to do uh, some rhetorical analysis of what somebody else wrote. That's that's something pretty sophisticated. So it's always a glass half full situation. Kids who are strong writers, this new test is going to let them show it off, and in a way that I think when colleges see it, they're going to be impressed. And here's the thing: and this is why I give what I would give credit to David Coleman for. The work we're doing right now with students to prep them for that essay is meaningful work. We're actually, it's not gimmicky stuff. We're actually teaching them how to be better, stronger writers. Writers in general. And they will take that to college. Not just testing. And they'll take that into their career. And you know what? Bravo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, That it'll be the fourth hour of a gnarly exam with high stakes. You know, So, I mean, obviously this just ties my stomach up in knots to even consider sitting and taking the exam now as a almost 36 year old person. Um, but I think it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. You know what? You You would surprise yourself on the verbal, you know, you're sitting here. You can obviously speak coherently. (laughs) Verbal skills develop over time. You'd like it. You're going to get crushed on the map. Oh, I have no doubt. Bludgeoned. (laughs) I have no, I, yeah. I mean, I have no, uh, yeah, nope, not excited about it, but I am, I think, you know, and we sit here as admissions counselors and use this as a, as a, as a measuring stick, you know, for, for, for students ability without, as I said, having any clue what's on the test. And so I think it would be, it would probably be go, it would go a long way towards, uh, towards being a, being transparent to making that happen. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. No way. I'm going to do it. Yes. I'm going to do it. Um, okay. I can tutor you for $200 an hour. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, see, here's the thing. You so want to be weeping Here's again? what I want to do. I want to, I'm going to walk, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk in. I'm not going to prep. Okay. And I'm going to take this test and, and see what happens i want to i want to take it just to feel it out and see what it to see what it feels like see what kids are going through um i will share my score why not right um but i I think um the point is life goes on you can live your life a successful adult long after you bomb the sat you can walk into it as an adult a perfectly successful, gainfully employed adult like myself, bomb it again. And it still doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that anxiety is not still there, though, for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to get your scores back in mid-May. Um, you're going to be utterly humiliated. And by the next day, that'll be here. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll know then who my peeps are when I get their application with that new exam and their score looks a lot like mine. I, I applaud your bravery, and um, I don't think this idea is going to catch traction. I think you'll be alone. <laughs> yeah, be, this is this is cl- just clearly a media stunt for you know, me. But right, but I believe in that. But I believe in the value of doing that. You know, and I think it takes. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm like I said. You I'm not going to hurt some this. kids by doing this. You're what hurt, you realize you're going to hurt some kids by doing this? Well, how? Because they're going to see your mug sitting next to them in the room. Oh shoot! Like, why is this angry ginger, ginger with this full red Whoa. beard sitting here next to me taking this test? What the hell is going on? So then that's going to be in that kid's mind when he's trying to, yeah. <laughs> what, a, well, what do you care? Here's you, what, what I do. do. You care? You want some great fodder for for your for your, your that's podcast? Right, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So I'm gonna I'll, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shave, okay. and that'll take 
somewhere somewhere like 20 to 25 years off of my appearance so i won't be as much of an out of, of, of a you know i'll wear a hoodie and stuff right i'll, I'll fit in all right you say so Anything i'll give you one last example so yeah. this is how um i uh have at at one time helped kids with anxiety mm-hmm. so uh, as you've mentioned i often go and take the test so uh, i have my, my kids are a little older now but uh, some years ago i was signed up to take the sat it's a saturday morning and I was taking it at this public school not far from my house. At this moment in time, my wife and I had a three-year-old, one-year-old twins, and an infant. So four kids, three years old or, or under. And you're in survival mode. You do anything to get to uh, get through the day. Yes. So my wife and I are like, why don't we take him for a walk? You can walk with me to, to school. We had a triple stroller, which is insane. So anyway, yeah, so they're, they're they walking me there. I didn't think this through. So this is L.A. So in L.A., the kids queue up in line uh, outside. Mm-hmm. It's a big courtyard. And even though they're kids, no one's really messing around because it's early crack of dawn Saturday morning and they're, they're depressed to be there. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, so with four kids that age, invariably at least somewhere between one and three of them are screaming at any given moment. So we're approaching the school on the sidewalk, making a scene. Kids are kind of noticing but not really because whatever, they're going to walk on by. Mm-hmm. Then we start slowing down. And then, like, they see me kissing my wife and kids goodbye. And they realize, that guy's got a calculator in his hand and, and some pencils. They see me get in line. And these ki- the looks on these kids' faces range from just horror to just just such empathy, such pity. <laughs> like, that poor bastard. He still has to yeah. go to college yeah, and provide he's, he's for that family. To, yeah. <laughs> so I like to think I helped those kids. Like, they forgot about their own okay. woes for a minute. It took the pressure off them. I was so what you're saying that. is that I should get dropped off by my wife and daughter coach them to sort of look at me maybe wistfully a little bit you know really drum up some sort of empathy for yeah me, like, that, like like this is my future depends on this yeah like your wife should totally be like Dad, okay. I, this time you can do it you so this it. is oh man so that that would be hysterical but this would be good for the kids around me yes okay and that's Public that's service. the whole point adam ingersoll compass educational group the website is compassprep.com check it out there's some really really great free resources god bless you you're welcome free um seriously there's some really good stuff there helpful for everybody yeah if you're a student out there who doesn't have access to some kind of formal structured prep yep uh, a couple things uh khan academy which has a partnership with the college board k-h-a-n academy yeah uh you can also get there through collegeboard.com um and uh, act is also coming out with uh with some online prep the free resources out there are not bad and we have on our website uh, everything we've ever thought of with these tests. We've tried to written it up, write it up in a coherent way, freely available. We have an 80-page guide to testing mm-hmm. that's available as a free download on our website. So takeaway, though, number one, no matter what, however you can get your hands on it, prepare for the test one way or another. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that uh, the emperor has no clothes and that test prep is a fraud and doesn't work, is ridiculous it always has been and even the college board uh is admitting that test prep is something students can and should do and the partnership that they have with khan academy is the evidence of that okay so prep take the test seriously don't take it too seriously life will go on uh get through this like every other you know two million students each year do and you're gonna be fine enjoy college be here before you know it thanks adam yes thanks for having me Thank you.
So since Adam and I had this talk, he claims that he got sick and didn't get to say goodbye to his old friend, the SAT, in January, as he had uh, dorkily stated in the interview. And he uh, registered to take the new one last Saturday, March 5th. However, as it was put in a recent bleeding Chronicle of Higher Ed headline, theories abound to explain College Board's abrupt ban on certain SAT takers. So what this means is that Adam and many other people who probably appeared above your average high schooler's age were summarily kicked out of that test session, the inaugural test session on March 5th, and moved to subsequent sittings later in the year, as the College Board put it, due to a new security measure. So the common thinking is that they wanted to keep test prep tutors like Adam and his employees out of there. Now, I had, I had every intention of signing up to take it myself, as I said in the interview, uh, but uh, some, some happened. I don't know. I definitely did. I did not. Uh, I can assure you find myself gripped with any kind of like PTSD induced paralysis or have a panic attack such that I found it easier to just sign up for a later date. I swear to God. But um, either way, you know, uh, I wouldn't have been able to take it on the 5th. So I was saved by the bell a little bit, so to speak. I don't know. Um, so anyways, I went online to sign up for the exam and you guys, holy shit. It says that I should quote get comfortable it's even got a little picture of like an easy chair there um it's very cute it's very good design uh get comfortable because the registration process could take 40 minutes 40 minutes just to register to take the test i mean kids should get points just for that for, for surviving that so this is lesson number one of things i expect to learn while taking the sat for my grown ass self so what i'm gonna do is i'll i'll document my registration process for you all to hear because uh boy man i just really want you guys to experience compelling radio and uh, i just couldn't think of anything more exciting than um you know it was either like war correspondence or signing up to take the sat and at the end of it all who knows maybe i won't be a broken shell of myself afterwards even before the test even begins and maybe i'll actually get to take it at some point actually take the test i'd love to be able to share what i learned at this stage in my life from taking the sat and I think that people like myself who pass judgment on kids' SAT and ACT scores and the admissions process could stand to walk a little in their shoes, especially since the last time we wore those shoes was like, um, you know, a long time ago, high school. And hey, the fact remains that the results of these tests do impact kids' lives a lot. And as much as we attempt to say that they shouldn't be given the credit and stress and everything else that we give them, that remains true. I mean, it, it, it's they do have a really big impact. I mean, hey, for just for example, in this day and age of student debt and cost and everything, there are schools that give cold, hard cash to students who achieve a certain SAT score, which I, I personally think sends the wrong message. But how schools manage merit scholarship money is another topic for another day. Uh, but anyways, it's a real thing, you know, with real consequences for students as they apply to college. So tons and tons and tons of stuff that I didn't get to talk about in my talk with Adam, obviously. Um, so what do you think? Do you, do you have anything to add? Feel free, uh, extra, super, especially free to contact me and share your thoughts by visiting crushpodcast.com, 50386crush, at crushpodcast.com pod on twitter also i took the liberty of posting adam's recent sat score history on the website for you all to take a look at and shed uh crocodile tears over as he attempted to do for himself this this poor man who just couldn't see fit to get perfect scores on on every subsection for every sitting i mean it's 
I just hope that someday he can realize that, it, that you know, while single sitting perfection is, is, you know, it's not what he got. I mean, super score perfection is perfection enough, man. So anyways, as far as I'm concerned, I, I think I'm going to call my mom and, and see if she can find my uncrumpled tear soaked test results somewhere in the family archives. All right. Thank you guys. See you next time.